don't know whether I'm alone in feeling like this, but sometimes I just feel like, can I just stop the world and get off? Do you know, like, the world is just changing so fast. Do you know that the iPhone was only released 11 years ago? Now, for some of us, that's like the whole of our lives. For some of us, it just feels like yesterday there was, an, there was no iPhone, and now there's an iPhone. And, and I just find myself longing for simpler times. You know, like, bring back the day when the received advice and wisdom was, a Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play. That's the kind of world I want to live in, you know? And, and uh, obviously now we know the national obesity crisis and, you know, type 2 diabetes, but back then it was just simpler, more straightforward. Or how about an apple a day keeps the dentist away? These days we know, no, 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 you must brush immediately after you have an apple and then you must floss. You know, but back then it was just like, no, this is how you should live your life. Back in ancient Egypt, apparently, if you had toothache, what you were supposed to do was take a dead mouse and put it into your mouth. That's nice, isn't it? We now know that that is not a good thing to do. <laughs> or there was another thing. If you love your um, spouse very much and you, you, know, you want to become uh, close to them but you don't want to have children yet, then the kind of um, protection that you would need is crocodile done, apparently. <laughs> Hello, darling. Your luck's in tonight, but uh, it's okay. I've brought my crocodile dung with me. She's like, no, I'm not so interested. Thanks very much. These days, we don't do that kind of thing anymore. The point is, and you might be wondering what the point is, just because everyone in our society is telling you that something is true does not make it true. Just because everyone in our society believes that something is right, it doesn't make it right. Just because everyone says that something in our society is wise doesn't mean that necessarily it's true wisdom. We as Christians, we live under the authority of a book that is 2,000 years old and, and more. And yet, in so much of our society, it's like whatever was believed last year is like so last year. And so how do we live with that tension as Christians? How do we cope with the, the reality of the pace of change? And the truth is that there's never been a time in all of human history when what's perceived to be right and true and wise has changed so fast as it does right now. There are all kinds of ideas and ideology that 10 years ago would have seemed complete nonsense, and now they're absolutely the, the core of uh, society's beliefs. Our culture is becoming increasingly consumeristic. It's becoming increasingly sexualized. It's becoming increasingly individualized. It's becoming increasingly intolerant, even though it calls itself tolerant. And so the question that we find ourselves asking in these days is, how do we live well when it's very difficult to know which way is up and what's right and what's true? How do we keep our heads when all others around uh, seem to be losing theirs. And uh, if I had all the answers to that, I'd be a really, really wealthy man. But I think that there's some of the answers in the passage that we're going to look at today. So we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians that we're calling Who Am I? And we're in Ephesians chapter 4. I've got my Bible upside down, so I'll just move it the right way up. Um, and uh, we're going to read from verse 11. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, 
the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's God's word to us today. So you might have noticed if you, as you were listening to that or as you were reading that, that the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he uses four different pictures, four different illustrations of ways that we could cope really, really badly with all the kind of various teaching and ideologies of our age. Uh, the first one is uh, in verse 14. He says, let's not be infants. And the picture there is like, it's like children, they, uh, they're just easily led, aren't they? They're not mature enough to know what's right and what's wrong. And they just go with whatever anyone else tells them to do, in theory. Unless they were having the terrible twos at the time. But when you were a child, you were powerless to make a stand on anything. You just had to do whatever it is that your parents told you to do. Let's not be infants, he says. The next thing, the next picture is, he says, let's not be like those of us uh, who are tossed backwards and forwards in the waves. And the picture there is, I guess, of like a cork bobbing in the waves. Uh, and it doesn't have any direction of its own. It just goes wherever the waves take it. The third picture is, he says, let's not be blown here and there by the wind. And if you imagine like a crisp packet in a tornado, just it's so flimsy, it's so light, it, it, it can't make a stand on anything. It's just, it's just blown wherever the wind chooses to take it. It's unable to set its own direction. And then the fourth one is, he says, he talks about the craftiness and cunning of people in their deceitful scheming. And the in the original language that he's using there, which is in Greek, he, he's talking about people who are experts in uh, loaded dice. So it's a gambling thing. It's like um, he's saying, let's not be deceived. Let's not be duped. Let's not be swindled. Let's not allow ourselves to be ripped off by those who have an agenda that is otherwise or, or different to what the Lord's agenda is. So let's just go back over those. Let's not be infants. Let's not be tossed back and forth by the waves. Let's not be blown here and there by the wind. Let's not allow ourselves to be deceived. And then what he lays out is a vision for a different way to live. A different kind of lifestyle. He says, let's not just go along with whatever is the prevailing teaching in our society or even the deceived teaching in the church. You don't have to go wherever you're led. You don't have to believe everything that you're taught. And you don't have to do whatever you're told to do. There's another way to live. So what is it? First thing, it's a lifestyle of showing up. It's a lifestyle of showing up. There are several gifts in the New Testament of what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. So there are several lists of different kinds of spiritual gifts. And they all start in a very similar way, all of those lists. They all start with 
something that sounds a bit like God, in his kindness, because he's gracious, he, by his Holy Spirit, has given each one of us gifts. It all starts a bit like that. You get a gift, I get a gift, we all get a gift. It's because God's nice. Uh, he's kind, he's generous. We all get gifts, and he just gives whichever gifts to whoever he likes. That's pretty much how every single gift, how every single list starts. So, for example, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. So it's that kind of a, a thing. Or, or 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. And then, just immediately before the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it's the context to our passage, he says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So like I said, all of those lists start roughly in the same way. God decides who gets what gifts. We all get a gift, or more than one gift. They all start in the same way. But what I love about this passage is, it doesn't carry on the same way as all the others. So all the others, he, he then goes on to say, we all get gifts. To you, you might get the gift of faith. To another gets the gift of tongues. To another person gets the gift of leadership. To another person gets the gift of administration. Somebody else gets the gift of generosity. He goes on to say, you know, basically, we all get gifts, and everyone gets a different gift, and here's some examples of some of the gifts that you might get. But in our passage today, he doesn't do that. Instead of saying, we all get different supernatural or natural abilities, he says the gifts are the people. It's a really, really important, exceptionally important principle for us to understand that God in his grace puts a gift inside each one of us and then we then become the gift to other people. That's what he's, uh, you know that whole thing, the, the question, who do you think you are? God's gift? The answer is yes, I am God's gift. And that's really, like, if you don't remember anything else that I've said today, except for the, cow, the crocodile dung thing, then just remember this. You are God's gift to the people in your life. God has put stuff inside you. He's deposited his life and his gift inside you in order that you would be his gift to the people around you. Now, in the examples that he uses in this passage, they're all various kinds of leaders, aren't they? People who lead, guide, and shepherd God's flock. So pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. And of course, the point he's making about leaders is absolutely true. Leaders are God's gift to us. You know, how do we know that we're going to be able to make a stand? How do we know that we're not going to be deceived? How can we make sure that we're made to be mature over the course of time? That's why God's given leaders to the church. That's why we have site pastors, youth leaders, small group leaders. That's what the leaders are in our lives to do. They're to help us to make a stand. Karen and I have a, um, our eldest son, in two or three years' time, he might go to university. I'm not saying that that's what he's going to do. If you're watching this, Kyra and Ellen, then maybe you will, maybe you won't. It's up to you uh, and up to the Lord. But let's just say he goes away to university. That's a vulnerable place to be. You know, many of you have set... You know, our parents and your, your children have gone off to university and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you're sending your children off into a place and you want them to make a stand for Jesus and you want them to make a stand against the powers and, of, and the darkness of this age. But in that place, 
There are all kinds of temptations. There are all kinds of pressures. There's all kinds of teaching. There's all kinds of ideologies. There's all kinds of pressures. And so what will, I be, what will I be saying to my son as he goes off potentially to university? I'll be saying, make sure you find a church with good shepherds, good leaders, people who know how to look after people, look out for people, people who are passionate about the book, people who love and teach the gospel, people of integrity, people of humility, transparency and love. Look for churches with leaders like that. God's gift to us is the leaders in our lives. Leaders are God's gift to the church, and that's, ex- that's why it's so important that we look after them. You know, if you've got leaders in your life, small group leaders, site pastors, youth leaders, whatever it is, look after them because they're looking after you. But, and it is quite a big but, what's true of leaders is also true of everyone else. The gifts that God has given to each one of us aren't only for us. They're for the people in our lives around us. Individually, God gives us gifts, and then we become God's gift to other people. Um, That's really the main thrust, for example, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is one of those other lists, where in verse 7 he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And it's what he's referring to here when he talks about we're all to be equipped for works of service. The, the word that's translated there, works of service, is really m- ministry. Verse 12. And notice how he ends the passage as well. As each part does its work. So in Paul's vision for us making a stand and being strong and becoming mature over time, he's saying we need to show up. We need to bring the gifts that we have. His vision is God gives us gifts and then we become a gift to the people around us. And so I think it would be a really, really great New Year's resolution for all of us to make. I'm not just going to turn up, I'm going to show up. I'm not just going to be present, I'm going to choose to be fully present in the lives of the people around me. I'm going br- to be a careful steward of the gifts that God has given me. I'm going to make sure that what people need from me is what I give them. I'm going to deploy my gift to serve other people. A lifestyle of showing up. That's the first thing. Next one, a lifestyle of growing up. This is about as good as it gets, people. Look at that. I've never been prouder. Paul's next encouragement is to maturity in the faith. Verse 13, until we become mature. Verse 14, we'll no longer be infants. Verse 15, we will grow to become in every respect mature. Now, that sounds very noble and quite aspirational, but what does it actually mean to be a mature Christian? Well, I think we can learn a few things about maturity from this passage, and it's not always what we think it is. The first thing that we can learn is this. It's not just about knowing things. I'm going to be honest here. I absolutely love it when people take notes when I preach. I could see just a few people around. Some of you, you might be saying Candy Crush, but I'm going to believe the best of you. You're making notes on your phone. There are even... The, there's even the odd little notepad around. And I love that because the truth is that those of us who are not taking notes, by about lunchtime, most of it will be gone. You know, oh, what, what was the sermon about today? Um, no, it's gone. Oh, there was something about crocodile dung being a prophylactic. I, it, it, 
It's good when people take notes, but the goal of what I'm doing here today is not that you fill up your notepad. You know, God willing, if I get to stand here for another 20 or 30 years, and over the course of that time, we all go on a journey together, the goal is not we all end up with a shelf full of notepads. The goal is that some days, maybe the good days, some of us take some of what we learn during these moments and we put them into practice. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the pastors and the teachers to what? To fill our heads with Greek words and three points, each beginning with the same letter, even potentially rhyming. No. He gave the pastors and the teachers to equip God's people for works of service. Jesus said, the wise man who built his house on the rock is whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So we can say maturity is not just about knowing things. The second thing we can say about maturity is it's always in the distance. It's never really reached this side of eternity. If there's one thing that I can say with absolute certainty that across all of the people in our church, maybe 1,200 people, something like that, there isn't a single person who is fully mature. Now, there are a whole bunch of you who are really nearly there, and you're a huge inspiration to me. But until we can say, um, where is it? Verse 13, we're to be all equipped, of, equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Anyone reached the whole measure of the fullness of Christ yet? Anyone as, as full of God's presence and power and holiness and wisdom and knowledge and understanding as Jesus was when he walked the earth. Not yet. And so my point is, because we haven't reached the full measure of maturity, we should not settle here. And honestly, I believe that that's a word for some people. It's time for each one of us to say, do you know what, I'm not as mature as I could be, so I'm going to press on. Maturity is a process that is absolutely ongoing for the whole of our lives until the end of time, until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so in the meantime, I have to refuse to settle for being where I am, and I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so I live my life with an open Bible and an open heart and an open life, and I press on. It's always in the distance. And the third thing that we can say about being mature is it's not possible on our own. It's not possible to be mature on our own. Do you notice the words that Paul uses to describe Christian maturity? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. It's very difficult to be united on your own. Verse 15, we will grow to become mature in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head talking about the church. And do you notice the really deliberate and stark contrast between verse 14, these infants who are just being tossed backwards and forwards by the waves, and verse 16, the whole body joined and held together, growing and building itself up in love. It's not a kind of individual maturity that he has in mind at all. It's a maturity that's only possible within the context of community. Community. 
when I was a teenager, I was part of a ski racing team. And uh, there's a couple of things you need to know about me. Number one, I'm a terrible skier. Number two, I've never raced a single race in my life. Uh, but I joined the ski racing team to meet people. Let's just say that. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, we, I, 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 was part, I was loosely connected with this team, more for the social life. And um, the team used to, often used to race abroad, but, but usually it would train on a dry ski slope in the Midlands somewhere of England. And so I would occasionally go along there. And it was a really, really short dry ski slope. And after a while, they were like, we should probably do something about this. Our people, you know, they're not getting enough distance in their training. And so they added a bit onto the end of it. But because there wasn't any room straight, they kind of went around a left bend. And so it was like, ski for a bit and then turn and then ski for another bit. And uh, that seemed like a really brilliant idea. But what it meant was that everyone on the ski team was really, really great at left turns and not so great at right turns, which is a problem if you're doing slalom, right? And uh, so my point is that there are a whole bunch of disciplines, a whole, a whole bunch of practices in the Christian life that are only possible on our own. They're, if you like, the left turns. Um, go into your closet and shut the door. Speak to your Father in heaven who sees what's done in secret and he'll reward you. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. There are a whole bunch of practices. Uh, think about giving. You know, when you give, Give in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand, hand is doing. There are a whole bunch of practices that we can only do on our own. But there are also a whole bunch of practices that it's impossible to do on your own. There are masses and masses of one another passages in the Bible that we must also seek to obey. Bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Accept one another. Wash one another's feet. Encourage one another, honor one another, serve one another. And you can't do any of those in your closet with the door closed. Barry, what's he doing in there? I don't know, Jean. Johnny, what are you doing in there? Oh, it's all right, Mum. Don't worry. Nothing to worry about. I'm just greeting myself with a holy kiss. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Barry, take the door down. There are a whole bunch of parts of the Bible that we can't obey when we're on our own. It's only possible to be, to be mature as a Christian by, uh, with other people. That's what small groups are for. That's what Sundays are for. That's what the meal table, if you have a meal table in your house or in your flat, that's what that's for. A lifestyle of showing up, a lifestyle of growing up, and finally, a lifestyle of building up. Let me just finish with this. I don't know if there's a more beautiful description of the dynamic life of a local church than in verse 16, our final verse there. It says this, from Jesus, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you know, 
You can go to lots of places, lots of groups, lots of people in this world to find people who will cut you down. You, you can, it's very, very easy to find groups of people who will discourage you. We can go anywhere and find people who are sarcastic and rude and cold, who bully you or intimidate you or mock you or try to compete with you. But there aren't many places you can go where people build one another up in love. And that's what the local church is for. Let's not be critical, cynical, grumpy, negative people. Let's give ourselves to being the most encouraging and honoring and strengthening and inspiring and hopeful and edifying people that we can possibly be. Because if we are going to make a stand, if we are going to follow a book that was written more than 2,000 years ago and honor God in this age where everyone else is losing their heads, then we're going to need one another to build each other up. Why don't we stand?